Hello and welcome to episode two of the Shaded Towards Left podcast. I'm host John Becker, and today I'm joined by M. Adler. If you would like to introduce yourself. Hello, my name is M. Adler. This is not only my first podcast, but I have a little bit of a sore throat. So if I mess up anything, if I fuck up a pronunciation, or if I get a number wrong, it's because of one of those things. It's not because I'm wrong. I, I think I'm sick for half of the podcasts I do, so I totally understand that. Um, right now we're working with a great sample size one. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the big news from the past week, but really I think the whole off season, if not um, the last 10 plus years in baseball, which is the whole Astros thing. Um, I'm partial to Benghazi or Trash Candle. Um, Chidi Chidi Bang Bang's another good one. Um, What's your read on the situation? There's just so many layers to this and obviously so much fallout from it. But what was your initial reaction um, when Ken Rosenthal first broke the news of the punishment? And then what has your reaction evolved into over the past uh, week or so? Evolved at all? I think the first thing that came to mind was I was really concerned about the trash cans. Like, how dented were they? Do you think they had to replace them every game? Every inning, because they were banging those things really hard on John Boy's audio. But, but, but in all seriousness, when I when I first reacted to this, I don't think I was able to process it properly, because this is this is just sort of the magnitude and the actual scope. At least when we're just talking to the Astros, is on the scale that we, as many people have said, it's on the scale that we haven't seen since the PED scandal. Um, at least in terms of what it means for the game and in terms of what it means for the outcome of a year or a World Series or of actually the history books, this is probably right up there with the Black Sox scandal and there's really nothing that compares to it in terms of how we go back and how we view who are the quote-unquote rightful champions. What about you? Yeah, I think um, I'm definitely not in favor of vacating a championship because I just think that's kind of NCAA weirdness. Um, that I don't really want to bring into professional sports, but I do think that obviously the cloud over the 2017 World Series and the 2018 World Series because of the Red Sox and even the 2019 World Series, you know, doesn't make the Nationals winning even more impressive. Um, but there's the punishment felt like about as much as Commissioner Rob Manfred could do, but also not enough. It was interesting to me that until the punishment to Alex Cora is handed out, who was the bench coach at the time for the Astros in 2017, there will be no punishment for anyone outside of the, the GM, Jeff Lunau, and, and the manager, AJ Hitch. And it's weird because there is record of lots and lots of emails involving other people. So for it to entirely fall on the GM, not saying that he should have been suspended, should, shouldn't have been suspended for a year. I think he could have even been suspended for longer, but fact that other people weren't suspended despite being very involved is really interesting to me and I don't think it 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 enforces that the GM has all of the oversight but at the same time why aren't other people kind of facing repercussions for their actions just because they're not the GM yeah I think we're I think we're looking into a very precarious sort of um sort of um uh it's, it's it's just a very odd precedent to set to me because I understand why you would be uh, why be spending for both the, them both for a year. I understand sort of how this is basically the maximum they can do given where the commissioner's office has set its bounds. 
But I think granting the players immunity just as a whole kind of misses the mark here. And and I hate to fall victim to the won't you think of the children thing because we're not dealing with a Little League scandal here. This is Major League Baseball we're talking about. But sort of the moral of the story that we're looking at is if you cheat and you prosper, there's a very strong chance that as long as you're a player, you can get away with it. Like there's no repercussions these guys are going to be that these guys appear to be facing except for just, you know, a chorus of booze and maybe not actually ever getting into the Hall of Fame, but that's something that we can touch on later. But they're not losing any money. Maybe people are going to wear their jersey less, but they're still out there playing baseball and they're going to be yelling as Bregman did to the media. He didn't yell, but as Bregman said to the media recently, they're going to be using this as motivation in some odd, twisted universe. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they haven't learned anything because of that you know just because you got away with it doesn't they didn't even go to just because you got away without punishment doesn't mean that you weren't a part of it and it's very weird that Fregman was like oh the Astros did what they did as if he's a neutral third party in all of this um, and you know the league I think has made clear that look, we, we didn't punish the players. We granted them immunity because we wanted them to be truthful with us in the investigation. But in the future, we're not promising that that will be the case. And anyone who does this in the future is going to face even more severe punishments than Luna and Hinch because there's a precedent set now. If you still do it, then that's obviously a major issue. Yeah, absolutely. And there's different reasons that you can suspend Luna. If we're looking at the overall the overall structure of what the Astros organization has been like for the past few years, there are many reasons just from an outside moral perspective that the commissioner doesn't really have grounds to spend on. There's a lot of reasons we can look at their internal culture and say, that's not something that we should t- tolerate, but that's not something that you can take legal, legally justifiable, justifiable action against from the commissioner's office. This is, of course, in reference to, um, <clears throat> to uh, the smartest guys in the room, the uh, David J. Roth article in the New Republic that came out uh, about a month or two ago about sort of the McKinseyan culture of the Astros. And that's an excellent read for anyone who's listening and hasn't read it before. I highly recommend it. But on the subject of players, I'm, I am very torn because I fail to see how something of this scale, something that actually does threaten the very existence of competition in the sport, I fail to see how people can be granted immunity and get abs- just completely get away with it for being the actual perpetrators of it. But Molly Knight brings up in her uh, in her article in The Athletic from a few days ago, it was about group therapy for some Dodger fans. She goes through basically just a very rudimentary argument about really why it would be so hard for Manfred to take action against the players just because of assigning blame to individual players or and then the players have the right to challenge suspensions. This would go to the courts. It would be a very messy thing. It would be very difficult. And it's just completely against the actual interests of the office of the commissioner to have to deal with that themselves over an entire season, unless you want to relegate the team and give them the death sentence for a year. But as you've said, this is not the NCAA. We can't just use magic and go, poof, you're gone. Right. And it's hard because the commissioner isn't a third party either he works for the owners and as much as people have been saying nationalized baseball and i agree with that i don't think it is ever going to happen for pretty obvious reasons um Mm -hmm. but 
I think what could possibly happen is having a truly neutral commissioner who oversees everything isn't just elected by the owners. The players have a say and works for the best interest of the sport, not for the best interest of those who own the teams. Yeah, I mean, even just looking at sort of even looking at the literal legal arguments, um, Jim Crane allowing this to happen and having no knowledge of it, as Manfred supposes in literally the heading of his report, which I find a little dubious considering where his interests lie, who elects him and who pays his salary, but that's not the, my point at this exact moment. If, even from a legal perspective, if that's true, that's still he's still culpable for this. He's still absolutely responsible for part of this because he had no idea, because he wasn't doing his due diligence. Yeah, and um, it's, it's funny, both with Hinch and with Lunau, it seemed like they weren't doing their due diligence. It seemed like no one in this whole situation was doing their due diligence, and that's kind of what let it snowball into what it was. Um, and it was almost an ironic level of funny to me that Hinch thought that destroying the monitors would be enough of a um, deterrent. Um, yeah, I give that idea slightly more slightly more credence than I think it was Bregman or Altuve's point, or maybe it was somebody anonymously who had said that if Hinch had just told them to stop, they would have stopped. Like, I, I don't really, we're not eight-year-olds here. I don't really think that's a very good argument at this point. Yeah, and even if that's true, you know, that just shows a blatant disregard for either knowing the rules or caring about the rules. It's amazing that I think, I, I want to say it was Ken Rosenthal's article a few days ago said that players were not aware of the rule. And... I mean, Manfred's a lawyer. Going, sorry, Manfred's a but Manfred's a lawyer. And again, going back to the sort of legal aspect of this, it doesn't matter if you know the rule or not. If you're subject to the rule and you know that you are subject to a set of rules, you can't do it. If I cross, if I'm, if I live in, if I live in Colorado and I'm smoking weed and I cross state lines into I, maybe Kansas or Wyoming and I keep smoking, I, I can get arrested. It doesn't matter. Right. And yeah. And the the lack of knowing the rules, let's just assume that that's true. Let's assume that none of them. That reflects poorly on everybody. That reflects poorly on the players for not knowing the rules. That reflects poorly on the team for not making sure they know the rules. And really, that reflects poorly on the union for saying, for not saying, okay, let's just make sure everyone's on the same page regarding what you can and can't do with the replay room or what you can and can't do with technology during the games. Um, obviously, phenomenon, I think, replay started in 2014 with, with the video room, not just for home runs. but um, So obviously it's new. It's not like this has been around forever. But at the same time, it's incumbent on everyone that the players know that they can't be you know, subject to listening to banging on a trash can connected to a monitor with, you know, some low-level person just hitting a trash can. Yeah, I think, and it's very funny to me that that this is the sort of advanced place we're in, but it's sort of the banging on the trash can, the very, that is just a very physical, very brute way of conveying a message that is in otherwise such a very high-tech um, scheme that they're working with, but that just sort of goes above and beyond what we've seen recently, like like with with the Yankees stealing signs and the Red Sox too on their Apple Watches 
or what Jack McDowell came out with a few days ago about Tony La Russa setting up the camera in center field, which is very similar, but you don't have the replay room, so it's just not quite the same thing. Or even with what we're hearing about the Red Sox, in all of these situations, you still need like a guy on second base conveying those signs, and in some sense that relates back to the backyard aspect of this, where as opposed to what you have with the Astros, where you are completely circumventing the natural order of the game. Right, and the game is such that you can't have advantages that you create for yourself outside of the confines of the field, um, clearly. And the fact that this system was, as far as we know, only set up at home, I mean, that violates the whole, that, that goes beyond home field advantage. That's, you know, you're taking advantage of, of everything available to you at home, not just the fans and the atmosphere and stuff you're used to. Um, it, it violates the entirety of the sport a way that I don't think even steroids did um, because totally. at least with steroids there's not really scientific proof that steroids make you better at baseball um, there is scientific proof like Rob Arthur in um, Baseball Perspectives multiple times that knowing what pitch is coming is going to make your play discipline better and that has <laughs> wide-ranging effects um, up and down the roster. Um, that is going to do a lot more than one person or even multiple people or even, let's just say, as many people as stole signs, in my opinion. Um, so the fact that this happened in a supposedly clean game um, and the league having worked hard to, to, to clean up the game, um, but kind of brushing this under the rug until Mike Fires went because it's kind of baffling that it seems like there's always going to be something dirty going on. Yeah, that's just sort of the history of baseball distilled is not just trying to win given the playing field you're on, but trying to win while skirting the rules as efficiently and sneakily as possible. That that's what you're looking at with steroids. And that's where I think that uh, in terms of the steroid scandal that I can I can simultaneously hold the position that I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are Hall of Famers and that uh, there are many players in this scandal who should be disbarred from that honor. I think that there's so many differences in so many different applications. I think it, it was it was either uh, Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh on Effectively Wild from a few days ago who was just sort of saying how in a very uh, – uh, in one way this is maybe sort of better – because with all the teams trying to outrace each other to cheat and steal signs, at least no one's actually getting a hurt. Whereas with the steroid scandal, um, or, the, or the steroid era, I should say, when you have guys taking steroids and you need to take steroids to keep up, they are somewhat enticing you into shortening your lifespan and destroying your body and all those sorts of things. Right, and there's so much gray area with where is the line, what do other players feel like they have to do to keep up, how many players feel cheated by this, um, and so on. And I think the difference with the steroid era is, is that that was probably widespread, let's just assume fairly equally, and it was not something that the league did a good job at all of getting ahead of before it was rampant. I mean, they banned steroids in 1991, and they didn't finish drug testing until 2005, whereas this, it took two-ish years to kind of, from the first memo sensing, don't do this, 
to getting an investigation done. Um, yeah, depending on how much you believe Logan Morrison's account of when it started, we're probably, but I would say we're probably looking at two years. Right. It, and this was, let's just assume probably not all 30 teams doing this, but that being said, this one thing with this one team did have wide ranging effects as it led to three managers being fired and it led for three teams scrambling for managers now. Um, so absolutely. the unknown now yeah, is what happens to Alice Cora. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, there for me, a lot of considering this comes down or at least really trying to evaluate the Astros in a more fair league wide sense comes down to what those other eight teams were doing. I believe the reports that there were eight other teams. We now know that the Red Sox are one of them. Most informed viewers can reasonably guess that the Yankees were one of them as well. And we have different reports by different teams, but those aren't exactly credible. But to me, it comes down to what those other teams were doing. I highly doubt that that there are other teams doing what the Astros were doing, even if other teams were doing what the Red Sox were doing. And to me, that then keeps sort of the reaction that we've had right now. I think that's very justifiable if those other teams weren't on the same level. If the other teams are doing things on the same or even similar levels to the Astros, then I think we're asking very different questions than we are now. We're not asking about how 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 egregious this is and how this scandal stacks up against like the Black Sox. I think then we're talking about more in the terms of the steroid era, sort of how the whole integrity of the game stands up and how sort of teams put they, they close Pandora's box back up. Right. And again, it's just so hard to figure out how how big Pandora's box is with this because eight teams were cited, it could be thirty. It could be that six of the eight committed minor infractions. It could be that the Astros were the most minor of the eight. We have no idea. Um, and ultimately they're just, the whole league is reeling about this. And I think that this cloud will hang over the Astros for a really long time. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of teams, a lot of fans of other teams are kind of piling on to the Astros without knowing for sure that their team won't be implicated for something. Absolutely. I do feel that as a diehard Mets fan that I can, that if I wanted to, I can pile on without having to worry about my team cheating because I, I watched my team last year and I can assure you that they were almost certainly not stealing signs because then our season might have ended a little bit differently and it might have been a little less painful just, you know, in general, just generally being a Mets fan. Yet somehow they still get caught and roiled up into this in what in my mind has to be one of the most Mets stories in recent years. And we've been full of Mets stories in recent years, not the least of which uh, is both of Cespedes' ankles. But that's but, but that's not that's a story for another time. How what was your reaction when when you see when you saw Beltran's name in the report and your gear started turning like, wait, he has a job now? I think think it was hard i didn't know if they mentioned him specifically because he was retired and thus no longer in the union and thus no longer protected or if they were kind of nudging the mess into hey you might want to consider this um but yeah it's really hard to to know if anything ever would have happened if they hadn't named him because brody van wagenen made it sound like Beltran did not tell them about it at all. 
or substitute no or whatever it was. Yeah, and they wouldn't have asked him if he hadn't been named. So I think I, I kind of yeah. like that the report was a nudge, but yeah, I really have no idea. I, I do know that yeah, them being implicated in it despite not doing anything was was probably the most thing. Um, but I also think that I think they clearly handled the situation poorly if they didn't even ask him about it when they were considering hiring him in the first place. I think they do bear some fault here. Even if Belchon wasn't going to be honest with them, at least they would have asked and they, and they would have cleared themselves completely. But now they kind of look incompetent for not asking about it. I mean, I would understand why when you're interviewing your managerial candidate, and I believe this was before the report, was be- this was before Mike Fires had spoken to The Athletic. I mean, I would understand why why the team when they were interviewing him like wouldn't ask him about like why they wouldn't ask him about Benghazi or or this trash scandal if you will I understand why that wouldn't come up in an interview although I do still think sort of interviewing a guy who's been around with a bunch of teams that have been very heavily uh, rumored by other teams who are dealing with like the matter in playoff games they've been very heavily rumored to be cheating on the same scale that we now have proven you might want to ask some questions about that but I think even going beyond that, this is just so very Mets um, in terms of, you know, there's three teams affected. Two of them are in the World Series, the other one's the Mets. They haven't made the playoffs in this in this uh, time period that we're talking about in, the, in terms of the cheating. And then uh, Bob Nightingale's US, uh, article from the USA Today from, I think, a week or two ago, just about the process of firing Beltron is incredibly sad and incredibly funny on the exact same level in that it's just the same thing that's always taken place uh, in in the Wilpon era of just, you know, there's a thing going on, it's a scandal, and it should be pretty easily taken care of. You just sit down, you figure out what you're looking at, you weigh the pros and cons, and you say, okay, this is what we do. But instead they talk to the, the wrong people and they, do, and they don't actually communicate to the party they're in with. And then when they talk to Beltron, they, all parties come away from the meeting saying, okay, we can weather this. And then a day later, the Wilpons go ahead and fire him and he's, he has no idea what's going on. So they have to make it a mutual parting of ways. It's something. It's very impressive. And at the same time, it's just a very deeply familiar feeling for me. Yeah. And yet, you know, they messed up the first shot and picking a new manager. And now it seems like they're resigned to the fact that they're going to go with an internal candidate more likely than not, which considering how the Mets have been in recent years, I'm not sure that's the right idea. Um, but then again, it's the Mets. So it's not really surprising. Um, and that's I want because they're to- Oh, sorry. No. No, I, I do want to move on to the, okay. the players implicated in this, or you know, Beltron the only one directly implicated. But you mentioned earlier the Hall of Fame is is Beltron not going to the Hall of Fame? Is Altuve not going to the Hall of Fame? Um, if Correa and Altuve and uh, Bregman end up with Hall of Fame careers, do they end up with the Hall of Fame? I mean, for me personally, Beltron Beltron was the sort of guy where he's in the same category, and I will explain this comparison in a very quick second, he's in the same category as Derek Jeter, um, where I don't think that necessarily on the, if if it was if there was no name, if there was no uniform, I don't think you look at it and you say, well, that's a shoe in first ballot Hall of Famer. But when you look at the name and when you look at the, I mean, when you look at the ex- exact resume and how, and how they've been seen in the media and how they've been seen by teammates, 
the sort of clubhouse presence thing, presence thing that I think to a certain extent does matter in Hall of Fame cases. That's where Jeter gets in um, prob- probably unanimously this year, and that's where I thought Beltran, if not a first ballot Hall of Famer, he wasn't going to spend more than three or four years on the ballot. He was definitely getting in. After this, I have a hard time seeing it. I can understand him getting, I can understand him still getting in, but he was not an inner circle in the first place, despite sort of the respect and, this, and the almost shoo-in-ness it was after winning the World Series in 2017. So that one, that's a very interesting one that I want to see get played out because as his candidacy is going to start in three years, that's 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 going to be the first couple years in which we really see the massive shift in the uh, Baseball Writers Association where you have all the sort of new guys coming in. Ben Lindbergh is sort of probably one of the first couple guys who are you know still active, whose voices we're listening to these days who's going to get in, and he's voted his first year is Beltron's first year. Yeah, and I'm we've, guessing we've, that... I, I'm guessing no, that this is, at, at worst, at worst for Beltron, I don't want to take an obvious side here, be kind of a bonds Clemens situation where he starts out well, if not probably better than Clemens did, and will probably plateau at some point. The question is, does he plateau above 75% or not. Um, it's, and it's really hard to say because I don't know. It was his last year. This was not necessarily a, you know, long-term thing, but at the same time, he cheated. He was named as cheating. And this is as big of an indictment as any player has gotten shortly after their career ended for breaking the rules. But at the same time, if we assume Bonds and Clemens did steroids, they definitely knew it was against the rules, whereas it's possible that Beltran didn't know that what he did was against the rules. And as, as you said earlier, that doesn't mean anything, but it, it could make you look the other way. Yeah, I can't really speak to Clemens, but there is a certain perspective you can take on Bonds where if you if you can manage to never read a single one of his quotes to the media and you can sort of manage to avoid reading about his interactions with uh, the media and with his teammates and Dusty Baker, basically in his entire time in San Francisco, then there's a way you can come away from the steroid scandal with him as a sympathetic figure. There was the quote from him, or at least a story about him, uh, what is in his, I, I believe it's after his first or second year in San Francisco, and this is when it becomes obvious you see him the next year and he's just completely bulked up. Bulked up. Um, there's just sort of the story that he's looking around and he's looking at McGuire, looking at Sosa and all the uh, MVP votes and the public love they're getting. And he's asking himself, or he's saying basically out loud, what do I have to do to get recognition? Because he's, because he's on an inner circle Hall of Fame pace, Hall of Fame pace before he starts choosing. And then, but there's no media around it. And then that's where that starts. For me, I don't know how Beltron fares in terms of that. There is a significant number. There's a significant amount of damage that the Will Ponds did to his public figure, which, uh, I mean, I think myself and most Mets fans who actually care about the players, I think most of them would not side with the Will Ponds in that, but they do have a certain influence in the media. They did damage him to a certain extent. And I just don't think that his, his, his play over the years necessarily puts him in the same category as Bonds and Clemens, who, if you don't find out about the steroids, they're two of the greatest players to ever play the game. Right. And it, to me, it, it clearly doesn't put him in that tier, which could hurt him more. Uh, yes. But it could also hurt him less because 
there's not video game like numbers perhaps because of his cheating which again might make people look the other way but again he was named by a league report as cheating whereas bonds and clemens were not um so it's a tough comparison to make um i I think guys like altuve and and bregman and you know korea his career kind of rebounds and can get over his back injuries might be a little tougher because they've played so well in recent years during the sign stealing things that we don't know um how it's impacted their careers. We'll never know how it's impacted their careers, but it could be enough that people don't want to vote for them, and justifiably so. I think um, Altuve and Bregman kind of viewing themselves as underdogs for cheating. Um, Beltran was really contrite, and I think gave a very good apology. Um, you know, it, it's tough because Altuve and Bregman are still around, whereas Beltran can kind of ride off into the sunset for now with a legitimate apology, and we don't know how Altuve and Bregman really feel. But, um, yeah, the look that they've given has not been good, and I think doesn't help if people are remembering that in future years absolutely i don't want to pretend that i'm starting some sort of hall of fame projection thing for bregman who's in his who's going into i think his fourth year as a starter but we were we've been talking about Altuve getting the 3000 hits being like among the top hit getters of all time bregman obviously and correa the start of their the start of their careers is it's not difficult at all if you just ignore this whole scandal to see them as inner circle hall of famers but but there's just it's so hard. Like you said, it's so hard to separate this from them. From what we know from what MLB had said about uh, they'd put people in the replay room to prevent cheating in 2019. So we can say that these guys are all very good without it, but that doesn't really help them. And certainly in terms of Hall of Fame candidacy, you're also playing to the public perception. You're also trying to come off as a good character. And this certainly isn't helping. Yeah. And I think the big question is because Altuve has, I think, seven more years on his contract, Bregman has a while on his current contract and then can play for another probably five to 10 plus years beyond that um, is does their image ever recover or does at least recover enough to make them hall of famers, assuming that they finish, let's just assume that they finish all of their careers, maybe even slam dunk hall of fame careers. Um, because to me, um, you know, I got that, steroids probably put a little bit more of a cloud over the game but i think the league was a little more complicit in kind of letting that happen that absolutely was in this case so where do you draw the line and i don't know where i draw the line i think that uh, i lean towards as i as i do with bonds and commons that the game should sh- the, the hall of fame should show the history of the game and tell the history without the players with warts um and it but but i get that you don't want to reward cheating either so it's it's hard because you obviously don't want to reward cheating but at the same time the hall of fame quality career the hall of fame quality career to me and you know it wasn't cheating but babe ruth played before the league was integrated he never had to play against josh gibson or satchel page um there have always been obstacles and advantages whether implicit or explicit that makes it really hard to to kind of decide where to draw the line and i think because of that i choose not to draw lines 
generally speaking. In your mind, does this affect the pitchers? Because obviously the pitchers uh, weren't really, I mean, obviously the, their pitchers weren't benefiting from this except in the wins column. And I don't think when any of their pitchers, even when JV retires, I think any of them are really going to be judged too, uh, too well on their win column. And even in the case of JV, he's already got enough wins locked up that it's really not much affecting him. But in your mind, does this affect your view of any of the pitchers or affect their sort of future uh, public relations or even Hall of Fame candidacies? I think no. I think even if, and I'm going to make a lot of assumptions here, I think even if they did know, which it's hard to believe that at least the starting pitchers who spend most of their time in the dugout didn't, they probably felt like they were not at a position to stop it or that it wasn't any of their business. And I, it obviously didn't benefit them on the field outside of the win column, like you said. So I don't think I'm going to hold it against them for being on that team at the time. But, you know, being on that team at the time also applies to the hitters. We don't know which hitters used it. And yeah. which hitters I mean, let's say... Carlos Correa didn't use it. Let's just say he did. He has a Hall of Fame caliber career. Maybe he didn't feel like he was in a position to stop it because he's not the manager. He wasn't one of the senior players in the team. You know, he just didn't use it, but he didn't go along with it either. So, or but he or he didn't stop it either. I should say. Um, yeah. So you don't want to assume, and it's so it's hard. It's really hard to to figure out. At least with steroids. Those who did it, you know that they did it, but at the same time, those who, you also don't know some of the people who did do it. So it's really hard. Yeah, there's, um, I think if there's any notable things for me in terms of the public outcome, and I'm not just talking about media, I'm talking about what you can see in terms of well, people's reactions to articles and the Twitter comments and whatnot. And we know baseball Twitter is not the same place as just the everyday fan, but you see in the sense, and this is an observation that usually doesn't happen very often, is people are looking at this and they are saying that even if players didn't use this, um, that they are complicit for not having stopped it. And that's a reaction that you don't often see to things. That's a thing that you are sort of looking at with um, with, uh, with uh, Mayo Pete's uh, candidacy, um, having to answer for his time with McKinsey, sort of helping helping uh, fix bread prices over in the Middle East while he was both in the army and sort of serving McKinsey interests at that time. There's, there is an aversion in the public to blame people for things that they're responsible for, but only indirectly. Th- that is happening right now. And I think it's very interesting to see. And I do definitely appreciate that. Yeah. I think when in doubt with a situation like this, you would almost rather over blame than under blame and i say that very hesitant with great hesitation because i'm not 100 percent sure about that but i mean unless someone comes out and says like i wasn't involved and i can promise you that i wasn't involved then i'm just gonna assume that they were um and obviously you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place while you're still on the team but you know after someone retires maybe they'll say look i wasn't involved or i you know i was involved and i apologize does that clear them of anything, no, but it at least kind of set Hall of Fame voters or just the public opinion on the right track. And, I, you know, I guess just judge, judge for their 
truthfulness by the eye test, I guess. But, you know, again, that's its own slippery slope of, you know, you can't just come out and say you didn't do it and people are going to assume that you are telling the truth. Yeah, the difference between... I mean, there's just an enormous difference between coming out like after you retire and you're even in like five years or even just now and saying you weren't involved. You're two years too late. Like that doesn't bring back the guys who were sent down, um, the, the nine guys who were shilled after their starts at Minute Maid. That really doesn't bring back the the hurt that went through for so many of the Dodgers pitchers in the 17 World Series, that doesn't undo this whole thing. And that certainly doesn't un and it certainly doesn't unblemish what was for many, many people from Houston this incredibly bright spot in what was otherwise an absolutely horrendous, tragic year for them. Like I do feel um, for a lot of the Astros fans who are having to go through through this, certainly not the ones who are who are terminally online defending uh, and defending what happened or sort of saying every team cheats while you guys focusing on this move on find a new slant. I really feel for the ones who whose year in 2017 after the hurricane and the massive flooding was they were sort of very much helped through that by the team in a way that, of course, we haven't seen since the 09 Saints after, just a little bit after Katrina. This, their memories of that year are not, you can't take that from them. You can't take that from any of the Houston fans who watch the World Series, the ones who, the ones who I feel for now, the ones who I don't. But, I mean, when they look back upon that guy, it, it, it hurts me to think of how much that, that personal and how much that urban redemption has been kind of taken from them in this. Right. I think those who were truly blindsided for it and those who truly feel betrayed by their team are not the ones who should be um, you know, gone after. But those who just kind of continue to view it as like a witch hunter that the Astros unfairly targeted or that the Astros didn't do anything wrong. Um, because the players didn't know any better or whatever. I mean, come on with that. Like, again, they're adults. You know, I, I get that fandom is irrational. The least is an age of revealing out what happened. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think you've got to just kind of take that for what it is and take a step back and say, you know, I don't, I, I can still be a fan of this team, but you have to, to, to kind of face the facts of what they did. Uh, absolutely, I I completely agree. And I also just want to say that uh, thank God the Nats won this year because if the Astros had because if the Astros had not given up that home run to Howie Kendrick, this would be so much worse of a conversation. Yeah, and I think yeah because a big I, I think another big reason for not punishing the players was that a lot of them from 2017 are on different teams now. Um, you know, Baltron's retired. I'm Gaddis is basically retired. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was on that team, but a lot of them are obviously not on the Astros anymore. So you're, you'd, you'd end up punishing other teams. Now, 2019, if they had cheated, if they had won the World Series, and if they had definitively cheated during the 2019, you know, regular season or World Series, whatever, then, uh, you know, what that is just a big letdown if the players weren't punished because outside of uh, Robbins and Chirinos, I'm pretty sure 
all of their position uh, Jake Merzik trade to the Mets, all of their position players are still on the team. And so for them to get off scot free without really having to punish any other teams anyway, that would be a really bad look. And obviously the fact that they cheated to win two World Series would be a really bad look, not just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much just those two you mentioned, and I think Marwin Gonzalez are just the three that you're looking at who play a significant time who aren't on the team anymore. I think, or, or sorry, who are on the team and have not retired, or have not effectively retired. I want to throw an argument out there, and this is something that is going to be antithetical to what you and I have mostly uh, mentioned so far, but one of the reasons that, that you and I and a lot of the baseball public, at least that is in similar age to us, or slightly older, millennials, one of the reasons why we're just why we just sit here and we're, and, and we're very okay, um, I don't want to say okay, but why we can very easily believe that Bonds and Clemens were not only two of the greatest, but they really deserve their place in baseball lore. The reason we believe that is because it was very clear that baseball either didn't care or didn't want to go through the or didn't want to go through the steps of actually getting the steroids out of the game until well after. Um, those two had already been setting records and basically until they had already retired. Um, the, the, I mean, Major League Baseball didn't put anyone in the replay room until this past season. They didn't go out of the way to try to stop any of the things, and they've been receiving accusations of this since 2017. I, I think there were some before, but this really ramped up in 2017. People talking about the Astros, the next year talking about the Red Sox and Yankees. They put out the letter in September of 2017, and that's the basis for a lot of this punishment. But aside that, you had two full years of them allowing teams to get away with this and not actually going out of the way to put preventative measures in. So I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah, I think that, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the league definitely lacked some oversight here. I think that to assume that no one was going to do anything wrong with the replay rooms was kind of pretty clearly wishful thinking. And to then send out the memo and still not put people in the replay room until 2019 was pretty weird. Um, But I also don't know if having people in the replay room did or will do anything. Um, And as some... Yeah, as some people are in favor of, but I think I'm more in favor of just not having the replace room, if there even is one, being used by team employees. The challenge system can exist, but you have to challenge with your own eyes. It is what it is. And, you know, the umpires, there'll just be an extra umpire in that room making the call, or it'll just go to the replay, to the replay room in New York still. But I think that... You know, sign stealing stuff aside, there's nothing more boring in the game to me than waiting for what feels like a full minute to wait for a challenge or not on a really close play that is probably going to stand as called no matter how it was called. I think that the spirit of the rule was not to challenge every single play that you might be able to get overturned with one angle for one millisecond. It's just to make sure that the most egregious of missed calls don't happen. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, basically the whole point of replay is just so that uh, it's just so that Armando Galanaga throws a perfect game and that, and that they don't call him safe at first. That's basically just the whole point of it. That's something that you can challenge on the field. I'm not sure whether you can take a major league sport um, that has video replay and just sort of take that away as much as I do completely agree with the fact that it's just generally not that useful these days. 
I'm not sure if you can do that, and that's certainly not a question that I can answer. But I think that the really important question and, the, and, and what this gets at is how do you stop this and how do you and how do you get in the way of science dealing in the modern age? I think that there are I think there's I think there's a few different avenues for this. There's the I mean there's obviously less technology or more technology. The less technology is is no video replay. I think you can you can marry that with sort of more technolo technological ways of conveying science. The way a quarterback has a headset in, you can give a, you can give the um, catcher pitchers earpieces. I'm very much in favor of you have a you have like an Apple Watch synced up for like the catcher, the pitcher, and the and the um, and the dugout. But I think either way, the keeping the system as is certainly is not an, a, a viable option. Right. I think that there's just so many holes to look through to you know to see what's behind the curtain and and ways to steal signs it's just really just hard to to imagine the league plugging all of those up with the system the way it is um yes. and you know those 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 replay room monitors are probably you know very low level employees who are not you know frankly probably not getting paid very well and how you know is it worth it to them to step in i mean how do they feel about you know let's say there's you know three 200 pound players coming to check a call or you know or coming to look at something which is allowed but then let's just say they're trying to pick up signs at the same time I mean, how uncomfortable must it be to, to to kick those guys out because they're breaking the rules i mean it's just you know you're kind of forcing that upon people who are probably gonna have a really tough time dealing with it especially when you know, an Alex Bregman is staring him in the face. Yeah, and the, and, and the guys sitting there looking at the video and banging on the trash can are, are almost certainly not being paid the kind of money that you would, in, in which you would sit there and weather that and say, you know what, this is still, I'm still making a living. I I have trouble imagining that these are people who are necessarily being paid fairly for their contributions or discontributions to the game itself. Right. And that's why ultimately it comes down to the upper level people in the league to figure out what the best course of action is to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I'm not sure that it's just putting people in replay rooms. Um, I do want to end on better news that was also groundbreaking, which was the Giants um, hiring, or I guess technically promoting the first um, in uniform full time. Um, non-male, in her case, in, in her case, female coach to um, the major league level, Alyssa Nacken. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her last name wrong, but she will be um, a major league assistant coach. She will be um, in uniform. She'll be throwing batting cracks before the game, um, and along with other things. Um, I think anything else was specified. Um, she will not be in the dugout during games because you're limited only to, I, I'm not sure if it's seven coaches, including the manager, or seven coaches plus the manager, but at any rate, um, they have a gigantic coaching staff. So Yeah, they're working with, I think, 13 coaches right now, which is right. quite large. So, um, yeah, so there's not room for her or the other assistant coach to be in the dugout during games, but obviously it's a very groundbreaking. So, so I'm just curious for your um, kind of take on that. You know, is it, is it a one-off thing, or is it going to lead to more non-male coaches at the major league level? I mean, I certainly haven't been 
in enough dugouts or spent enough time in the higher levels of baseball, although I am sort of making inroads as a journalist in terms of Division I baseball, but I really can't speak to that at the moment. Um, I think it's very useful to compare this to other sports. We, I mean, in the very same week, we have the first, we have the first like high level assistant female coach in the NFL. Not only is she female, but she is also gay. Um, and we have, um, in slightly less groundbreaking news, um, the, the like uh, Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs of the National Basketball Association, the NBA. Don't know why I said, don't know why I listed that out of the NBA. Uh, there, th- there was a very funny instance uh, a couple days ago where she basically saved the game for the for the Spurs by getting by convincing Pop, who's basically the greatest NBA coach of all time, and he doesn't often change his mind. Uh, she basically convinced him to change his mind on challenging a call, and that basically saved the game for them. So it's been a very nice week for uh, for uh, gender diversity in assistant coaching roles in the major league sports this is obviously great news i'm very glad that it came out in a week in which we would otherwise just sort of bury our heads in the sand and say oh god what is baseball doing to us yeah and it's kind of ironic that it came out during the week because i think it was a a sorely needed piece of positive news but at the same time i'm not sure it even cracked the top 10 of biggest news to happen that week when three managers got fired and the GM got fired and um, Josh Donaldson signed and other free agents signed and all that going on. But, and you know, just that being for said, it. it shouldn't be overlooked either just because it was such a hectic week. And the manager she's working for is Gabe Kapler, who is very famous for being very good and very positive on issues related to women. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost ironic that that the Giants with Gabe Kapler with the controversies surrounding him in his time with the Dodgers um nothing he was accused of specifically but um I shouldn't say specifically nothing he was accused of period obviously his handling of um sexual assault and I think as far as the rape allegations against minor league players that he was overseeing um for him to promote the first female coach um is ironic but i think it also shows that he's serious about you know re rebuilding his image and getting and then more importantly i think getting as diverse of a coaching staff as possible with diverse viewpoints as possible i'm not necessarily sure that i would agree with that because i think and i'm not ruling out that possibility but i think when you're looking at a business like this it very often just comes down to what the best option is with with the obstacle of sort of the inertia of how things are. I'm sure that in the past there have been equally or I shouldn't say I'm sure there have almost certainly been equally or more qualified female candidates for the job than just all the males that have always been in the roles before. And and I'm hard pressed to believe that that um, Alyssa Nacken was not far, far above and beyond better than any guys they were considering. Otherwise, me and my very cynical mind in this sense, I don't think we would be talking about this if she wasn't so much better than their other candidates. So I'm certainly not ruling out sort of the Kapler redemption and the Kapler um, re-imaging storyline, but I, I'm not yet convinced of that. Yeah, and I don't want to you know, say that it's tokenism because it's not clearly she's more than qualified for the job and she's probably 
overqualified if it took this long for a female coach um, at the major league level. Um, and hopefully it levels the playing field to teams truly looking for the best candidates for coaching positions, gender or other identifiers be damned. Um, you know, as has been discussed a lot, there's also a, a, a kind of a race issue, not kind of a race issue, definitely a race issue with, with managerial jobs, not so much coaching jobs, but managerial jobs um, that you know, hopefully um, Alyssa and getting promoted will kind of help lead the way for other non-men at the major league level. Yeah, maybe the wackiest stat that I can give you about the uh, about about the uh, the banking scheme, as Meg Riley likes to laugh about. Um, the wackiest stat I can give you is the fact that uh, two thirds of the league's managers of color were just fired. Yeah, um, that is sure, not two thirds, one third, one third, one third. Yeah, because let's see, Roberts Renteria is left. Uh, do this off the top of my head. Um, there's two others left now. I feel like I have to look it up. Um, so you know, looking at Renteria, Roberts, uh, Martinez. Those are those are three of them. I'm trying to go through the other ones in my head. Uh, Charlie Montoya. Okay, so yeah, so that would be four. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's crazy. And um, you know, again, I'm not just rooting for tokenism but clearly there are plenty of qualified people of color who should be considered and i really sorry i I really hope that someone like dusty baker gets a shot eduardo perez gets a shot you know new manager manager with 3500 games of experience like dusty baker whoever it is i think that that representation does matter because you know, Dusty Baker is one of the best managers of all time, one of the best managers to incidentally not win a World Series of all time, who just seems to always get the raw end of the deal. Yeah, his career has his career. I mean, just going into the public perception and how he's left each of his spots is certainly a very loaded topic that that would take much more time than we have left on this pod to get into. But, yeah, I was just going to mention Dusty Baker, I know, is your Basically, basically the top guy that you have left in the market. I was really hoping that the um, I was really hoping that the Mets would hire Eduardo Perez before they went with Beltran, who at the moment I was not I was not disappointed in, but that happened. So I'm certainly hoping that one of those that that both of those two get hired to these openings, as I think they're incredibly deserving and probably much more deserving than the than the uh, than a lot of the other candidates on the market. Yeah, and I think that that is kind of the next thing to watch. That you know, in the non roster moves to happen category um so i'm curious to see um who gets hired and i think i will will leave it at that um as we as i wait hopefully for a um dusty baker hiring with one of the three teams which the astros appear to be the likeliest and that would be its own kind of cognitive dissonance to do with but um i want to thank you again um, for joining me um and if you want to follow um i'm on Twitter, who does not have enough followers, in my opinion, it is at the Midler, M-I-D-L-E-R, one, no underscores or anything, um, only 22 followers, and that number should be a lot higher, so <laughs> I'm a follower. Restart your yeah. Accounts. yeah, and um, thanks again for joining me. 
Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Have a great evening. You as well.